0: So, how many of you um, watched the Royal Wedding? Okay, not as many in this service as the last service. I guess the younger we get, the more jaded we become. Um, they're the early birds. Oh, the 815 people were up early anyway, so they were watching it. Yeah, that's probably true. That's probably true. Um, yeah, so I, I, didn't, I didn't get up to watch it. I felt a little guilty because I felt in some ways I was... Um, Betraying my my mom's legacy because I remember as a kid, a little boy, uh, getting up with her to watch the wedding of Prince Charles and Lady Diana, and but I figured I've seen one, so that's good. Um, <laughs> but but I did watch highlights and things, and because I was coming, it was it was interesting to me just to 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 think about the immense pressure of being under the spotlight, lately. War. Yeah, today actually talking about celebrations. Today is um is Tony's and I, it's our 23rd anniversary today, and um, thank you. But I, uh, I was remembering how, how aware I was in our wedding, which was, you know, family and friends. It certainly wasn't any massive crowd, but of knowing that you're constantly being watched. You know, everybody's always kind of looking at it, especially first dances and things like that. And I was watching some of the highlights of of Meghan Markle, especially knowing that at any moment the camera was on you and the whole world is watching. I mean, reactions and facial expressions and dissecting everything. I thought they handled that very, very well um, from what I saw. But I will say, and, and the whole thing is building to this, the highlight of what I saw, watched, and went back and watched in its entirety. And I really commend to you, if you have not watched it, is to go back and watch the sermon from Bishop Curry. That was powerful. That that was that was the gospel. That was the gospel in in 14 very powerful minutes. And I do encourage you to watch it. I I just I laughed at somebody's comment. I heard somebody say, Well, that wasn't the appropriate place to do to do that. And I thought, "Um, did you notice the setting? That was a worship service. That was a worship service. That's what a Christian wedding is. And he he brought worship. Whether they wanted it or not, he brought worship. And he talked about that, that redemptive love of God. And, and we're, we're going to kind of lead in. We're going to let that segue a little bit. Because we talk this morning, the scripture that we read talks about that love of God. And the way that we, and when particularly those moments that we experience that in the most um, profound and, and powerful ways. So let's, uh, let's use that to build to our scripture this morning. From uh, Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 31. These are going to be some words that for many of you will be No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And with that, brothers and sisters, we pray God's blessing on the reading of his word. Let's pray. Lord, that we would experience powerfully and profoundly the Power of your love, the the presence of your Holy Spirit, the assurance of faith. Speak to us in these moments and and may these words be of your spirit and pleasing unto you. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. 1973, Sweden, there was a bank robbery. In the midst of the robbery, um, the police showed up earlier than they had been expected so it kinda of thwarted the plan and it resulted in a a standoff and a hostage situation the bank the bank robbers took hostages and held those hostages for six days before they were eventually apprehended and um, did some pretty, some pretty nasty things in those six days after they were arrested charges were being filed the case was being made the um, authorities found something very troubling, perplexing, um, unexpected, and that is the, those who had been taken hostage, the victims, if you will, of the crime, defended their um, captors. They identified with them. They saw themselves as one of them, if you will, and it was hard to comprehend. And so it was studied, if you can imagine, and a criminologist and a psychologist gave it a specific name. Do you know what that name is? Sorry, Stockholm Syndrome. In fact, I didn't mention the crime was in Stockholm because I thought that would make it a little too easy. But it is the experience, the, the defense mechanism, if you will, it, for it is a defense mechanism, when somebody who's become the victim of a crime, and specifically um, a, a hostage situation or, or other um, a victim of, of uh, has been kind of victimized in other ways, when they begin to identify with that person or persons who have committed the crime against them and they identify and, and even so much as protecting them and, and it's played out and we've seen it in other places over the years most famously Patty Hearst Patty Hearst uh, is the most famous um, person to suffer at least attributed with Stockholm Syndrome and, and as I was reflecting on it of course as I said I, I, I don't I don't say this in a critical way to those who have had to deal with it because it is a defense mechanism, it's a way of, it's a survival survival technique, a subconscious survival technique, but it is also at its very core it's a, it's a denial of reality, it's an un, not an unwillingness, but an inability, if you will, to face the reality of a situation so what happens is rather than being the victim of a crime you're identified with those who are committing the crime. So you're not a victim, you're, you're part, of, part of the experience, if you will. It's not being done to you. You're, you're a player in, in the play. And so it, it, it denies the, the reality of, of the truth of, of the experience. It denies the reality of, of what is happening and in some ways denies the reality of life. Now... I start with that because I think as people of faith as Christians as followers of Jesus we have to to be careful of falling into a a trap of a of a Stockholm syndrome not necessarily that we identify with perpetrators of a crime but that we fall into a trap of denying or refusing to see the the reality of life and and what it means to be a person of faith, but to have the journey and the experiences we have. Because what happens is, and and let me kind of just spell it out. Occasionally, you may have encountered people, I certainly have encountered people over the years, that understand faith, which is what Paul talks about here. He talks about faith. But understands faith as a protector against the troubles of life. That understand that if you are a person of faith or will or will kind of proclaim an understanding of the gospel that says if you are a person of faith, if you have enough faith, if you live right, if you pray enough, if you go to church, whatever it is the requirement to to demonstrate faith, that if you do that well enough, faithful enough, passionately enough, then you won't experience the hardships of life. And so faith becomes an insulator, it becomes a bubble, it becomes a protector. Have faith, bad things won't happen. And, and I've heard that. I've experienced that. I've heard that in my own life. I, I remember hearing somebody secondhand when, when my mom battled cancer that said that, well, if she had more faith, she'd be made well. And it's a good thing I didn't hear that because then I would not have had any faith. I would have, you know, said unchristlike things. Um, but because it's because It's bogus. And, and whatever the situation is, it's bogus. Not only is it not true of our life experiences, it's not true biblically. You cannot make a case for that. You cannot make a case for the, for the idea that somehow if we follow Jesus, who was crucified... That we will not experience hardships and difficulties in life. And that's part of the heart of what Paul's talking about here. He's giving us a very powerful and a very real understanding of life. He's making us face life and not deny the reality of it. And he's giving us hope at the same time. So let's talk about the reality. In fact, one of the verses that, that I that I didn't read. It was from uh, earlier in the chapters, verse 18. But this is what Paul says. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that would be revealed in us. I consider our present sufferings are not worth the glory that will be revealed in us. We love that glory part, but don't lose sight of the first part. Paul's saying, those of us, he's talking to people who have committed themselves to walking in the way of Jesus. He's talking to the church. He's talking to, to Christians. And he's saying we're going through a tough time. I know we are suffering, but it doesn't compare with what's to come. There's a greater promise in spite of what we are experiencing right now. And then later on, he goes to spell that out. And it's part of the section that I did read. He says, um, uh, who is it? God who justifies... And he said, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And this is what he lists. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Hear that again. Trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword. Here's the thing with Paul. Paul, this passionate follower of Jesus. Paul, this proclaimer of the gospel. Paul, this one who was blinded on the Damascus road that had a personal encounter with Jesus that sold out to do what Jesus called him to do. You know what his life was marked by? You know what some of the experiences of Paul's life in Jesus was? It was this, or the the result of his life in Jesus. He suffered trouble and hardship and persecution and famine and nakedness and danger. The only thing he hadn't experienced yet was sword which is an allusion to death. And you know what? That's going to come. So so you've got a hard case to make with me if the idea of following Jesus means bad things don't happen. Because Paul's pretty close to Jesus. And he went through some really tough stuff. Yet he proclaims not a promise that it won't be experienced, but a promise that God is present in the midst of it. See, Paul doesn't want the church to deny that. He doesn't want us to sit there. He doesn't use it as an indictment of faith and, oh, well, you're not living right. You're not believing right. But what Paul's saying is that we need to face these realities, but we face it with faith. There's a, there's a contrast to the, to the um, um, Stockholm Syndrome that I, that I read about. And it's, um, I think it's called the Stockdale Paradox. And it's um, named after Admiral Jim Stockdale. I don't know how many of you, some of you are nodding your head, you know that name. Uh, Jim Stockdale was the highest ranking officer in the Vietnam War that spent time as a prisoner of war. He was, in 1965, I believe he was a pilot, he was shot down. And he spent eight years in the Hanoi Hilton. That, that many of us have heard have of. Eight years in the Hanoi Hilton. And he became... Very well, very famous, if you will, for not only some of the mental exercises he practiced to keep himself from, from going crazy, but developing a, a communication system with other, other um, POWs so that they could communicate with each other. And again, in 1973, uh, he, was, he was released. And they asked him, and I, I want to pull some of his quotes, they asked him um, what kept him going. And he said, I never lost faith. I never lost faith in the end of the story I never lost faith he would say that I was going to get out and that this would become a defining experience of my life and this is something that I found very perplexing he says an experience I wouldn't trade I want you to hear that an experience I wouldn't trade eight years of brutality and 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 suffering I wouldn't trade because I always had faith of how it would turn out but then they asked him they said what was the characteristics or what kind of people didn't make it and he said this was interesting to me he said the optimists didn't make it the optimists didn't make it and he said by optimists what he meant was those who wouldn't face or couldn't face the reality and they thought at any moment they were going to be released he said those who believed I'll be out by Christmas, I'll be out by Easter, I'll be out by Thanksgiving. Those who are unable to face the reality of their situation, and this is his quote, he said, this is a very important lesson, you must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, faith which you cannot afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they may be. What he says is you cannot confuse faith that good will come with the failure to actually look honestly at the reality of the situation and the circumstances. And that becomes very, very important for us as we approach faith, which Paul talks about. See, faith is not blind to naivety. Faith is not the belief that everything is going to work out the way you or I want them to. Faith is not an insulator that the realities and the hardships of life will not come our way. That's not biblical. And here's what I want you to hear. That's dangerous. Because when that is your faith, when that's your foundation of faith, your resolve is lost the moment life gets hard. Your your faith washes away in the experiences of life. Because here's what we have to find the power of God at work in our lives to be able to do. What we need to tap into. And that is, and this is where the sermon title comes from. What what I think Jim Stockdale would say is you've got to deal with it. And I don't mean that dismissively. A lot of times we say that as kind of a a dismissal. You know, somebody didn't like something, just deal with it. But, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about an honest deal with it. Knowing that the power of God is at work that allows us to face the challenges. That's what Paul's talking about. That's why he says neither death nor life, heights nor depth, things present or things to come will separate us from the love of God. What he's saying is as he talks about the, the, the sufferings, as he talks about the difficulties and the challenges, and he talks about this promise that nothing can separate us from the love of God, he's Making a point that faith is not a protection against those things. Faith is a promise that God's present in the midst of those things. And that's really important. Because when we believe that somehow the trajectory of our lives is going to insulate us from those kind of problems, we don't have a solid foundation of faith. And it will crumble fast. It will absolutely wash away. We need to learn to deal with it and step out on faith because when we do, it allows us to step into the risky places because we know God's with us there. I mean, you think about the great stories of our faith and the great victories. Think about David and Goliath. Okay? When, let me ask you this, when do you think David achieved victory? Anyone want to guess? Because a lot of us, here's what we'd say. I know you're nervous. You think I'm setting you up. What do you think? When he what? You're on absolutely on the right track. Absolutely, David's victory didn't happen, didn't singularly happen. There was a victory when he slew the giant, but that wasn't the victory. The victory happened the moment that he stepped onto the battlefield. The victory happened when David said, I will not cower in my faith in the face of the risk. Skinny little shepherd boy that steps onto the battlefield, trusting, as Paul would say, God works to good in all things. He doesn't know that God's not going to work through his death, but he's going to step on faith. Daniel in the lion's den. Did he have victory when God shut the mouth of the lions? Of course, that was a victory. I'm sure he was very happy for that. But you know when his victory was? When he refused to abandon his faith at the edict of a king. And like he had every day before, he knelt before God in front of his window and said, this is who I am. And I will step on faith regardless of the personal cost. Because there's no protector. In fact, I love his, the story of his friend, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When they're thrown in the fiery furnace. That's also there in, in Daniel, I think, chapter 3. Um, and they say, when the, when the king says, you're going to die, I'm throwing you in the fiery furnace because you won't worship me. And they say, if we die, we die, but we won't abandon. Our Lord can save us. That's what they say he can save us, but if we die, we die. They don't know how the story's going to end. Their victory is the step of faith. Moses before Pharaoh wasn't when they were brought out of Egypt. It's when he stepped into the court of the oppressive king and stood up for his people. This is what we need to understand, what faith looks like. Faith is God's strength working through us, with us, in the midst of the trials and the challenges, sometimes the great joys, and sometimes the tremendous obstacles we face, because we will. And I was thinking about that this morning, because we're celebrating these graduates, and these young people are smart, and they're savvy, and they know this. But I don't, want, I don't want my children, I don't want these young people, I don't want these kids growing up to grow up with this idea that somehow if I just love Jesus, life's always going to work out for me. It will work out. It will work out. That's the promise. God works to good. But it doesn't mean that sometimes it won't work through the hardships, through the facing of the difficult times and allow God to be at work in that. There's times we have to deal with it. We have to face it and we have to deal with it. That's the promise of faith. That's what God invites us into. Nothing separates us from the love of God. That's the promise. So Paul says, face it. Step into it. Take the risk. I can't promise you what the outcome, but I know this. God will be with you in the experience. Trust in that and let that be your strength. Allow God's Holy Spirit to be at work so you and I in those moments can effectively and faithfully deal with it. Amen. Let's pray, Lord, thank you for your promise and for your presence with never is far from us. May that be our strength and our hope now and always in Christ's name, amen. And I say it often and I will until my last breath, anybody that thinks faith is just a protector against bad things has a lot to explain about this meal. Because Jesus has it on a night in which he's preparing for arrest, persecution, and crucifixion. But in that, he gives hope. And he gives us his presence. And that's what he says to his disciples. This bread, this, this blood, this is my presence. And I'll be with you always. Always. And that'll be your strength. Let that be the foundation of your faith. And so we remember that Jesus on that night took bread and he gave thanks to God and he broke it. He said, this is my body. It's broken for you for the forgiveness of sins. Every time you eat it, do it in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup and he gave thanks to God and he gave it to them and said, this is my blood of a new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Every time you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. And so we remember what God has promised through Christ, not only what he did, but what he is doing in each of our lives. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, bless these gifts of bread and juice that for us they would be the body and blood of Christ that we would be for the world the body of Christ, the people redeemed by your blood. Lord, make us faithful, obedient to serve you, to love others, and to live into our faith. Until the day comes, we enter your kingdom and forever feast at your heavenly banquet. With your Holy Spirit and your Holy Church, All honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. I want to invite now our communion servers to come and to take their place at our communion stations. If you are a guest with us this morning in these moments as the praise band continues to lead us in worship, you're invited as you desire to come and receive communion. Two stations in the front, two in the back, received by intention to, to come with open hands to receive the bread and to dip it into the juice and thereby receive the body and blood of Christ. If you are unable to come forward, let an usher know. We will bring communion to you. Uh, the, the baskets are on the tables for prayer cards or for offerings The altar is open for prayer. So, brothers and sisters, as you are ready and as you are invited, you are welcome to come and to uh, receive. to hear your voice. We're hanging on every word. Spirit of the living God. Spirit of the living God. We want to know you more and more. We're hanging on every word. Spirit of the Living God, Spirit of the Living God, we only want to hear your voice. We're hanging on every word.